Photography is the act of capturing the visual world, taking something you can see and sharing it with somebody else. But artist Trevor Peglin has made a career of photographing things that you can't see, things that have been intentionally hidden. Peglin's work looks at the shadowy worlds of government surveillance, of CIA black sites, and even things like artificial intelligence and machine learning. And he takes these pretty abstract concepts and helps make them concrete, physical. He maps them to our world. You look at the sky, wide open desert, and you look for kind of a second longer and you realize that it looks like little bugs are flying around in the sky. And then you look a second longer than that, you realize these are are drones. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura. Today, we're talking with artist Trevor Peglin. He's a self-described experimental geographer. He's an award-winning artist. He's a photographer. And he is going to tell us how to look for the things that we're not quite supposed to be able to see. That's after this. time I took a road trip. How many national parks could I hit in two weeks? What about hotels? Wait, hey Erica, how much am I spending on travel? When your questions about life turn into questions about money, there's Erica, the virtual financial assistant to help you spend, save, and plan smarter. Only from Bank of America. What would you like the power to do? Erica is only available in the English language. You must download the latest version of the mobile banking app, only available on select mobile devices. Your chat may be recorded and monitored for quality assurance. Message and data rates and additional terms may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. If you're looking for a place where the wide-open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites— along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Trevor Peglin's job, the thing he does with his time, is to help explore these hidden worlds of government surveillance, of national security infrastructure, of artificial intelligence. And because he cares about how these places interact with the physical world, it means that he actually ends up going to some pretty strange and unusual locations. So when Trevor joined me from Berlin on this phone call, I wanted to start our conversation by digging into one of these places. It's where an underwater internet cable arrives off the coast of Florida. I was trying to find the internet. (laughs) 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 Um, Which turns out is largely underwater. It's not in the clouds, it's under the sea. The longer story behind that was that I had been working with Laura Poitras, who is the filmmaker that Edward Snowden had gone to with those files describing the workings of the NSA. And she had sort of invited me to be a part of that research project and and specifically to 
try to understand some of the infrastructures of mass surveillance that were being described in the Snowden documents. One of the things that becomes very apparent when you start looking at what the infrastructure of the internet looks like is that it has a geography to it. The continents are connected to each other at various specific places with very specific undersea cables that have names and that sort of thing. And so I thought, well, I want to see what that looks like. And so I learned how to scuba dive, I learned how to do underwater navigation, some other kinds of things, and started diving in different places around the world to try to see the internet. These sites are maybe not high security, but still sort of not inviting visitors. Was there anything that made you kind of wary about the project? Yeah, I was really wondering what this might entail. You know, I half wondered if, you know, ninjas show up underwater <laughs> if you're kind of around these things or whatever. Yeah. I, but no, it would it sort of was fine and you go there and oh, I think I had brought some guys along with me to do the search patterns and things like that to try to find these. And I think one guy found one and started tugging on it. I was like, don't do that. That's a terrible <laughs> idea. You know, because <laughs> you know, I think those the landing stations that they go into are very sensitive and they're obviously monitoring those things. You know, so yeah. and they're also like there's a huge amount of like electricity moving through those cables too. So they can be quite dangerous if something goes wrong. So you found the cables and you took some images of them. And, you know, the pictures are really interesting. Some of them, there's a sort of one image where it's very almost like a shipwreck. You see the cables, they're kind of covered in algae. You can see kind of the horizon of the water. And then other places you see really just like a beautiful beach. What were you sort of hoping to convey with those images? Some of them are on the shore and so it's looking at the places on the land where the where the cables are are coming um you know again onto the land but i don't think in any of them that the cables are visible at all right they're under the beach or mm -hmm. you know, under the ocean and for me those images are really more about pointing out all of the ways in which we might see landscape with our eyes or with Photographs that we might make only describe a particular way of seeing that landscape, right? And if you have additional information, the meaning of that landscape can completely transform you know, based on information that's not in the image. Um, for the ones that are underwater, we actually dove down and, and tried to find them. For me, they were analogous to another project that, that I've done in the past and continue to do that involves tracking secret satellites in orbit around the Earth. And so I go out and I use astronomy equipment. I try to photograph these secret satellites in the sky. And for me, photographing the cables on the seafloor was kind of analogous to that, like thinking about infrastructures that go from the bottom of the ocean up into the heavens, you know, on a, a kind of vertical axis, which is maybe a little bit of a different way than what we usually think about landscape. Sort of similar to the cable photographs, you have a series of beautiful images in the sky over the Nevada desert. These very kind of beautiful skyscapes, these clouds and kind of pastels. And then there's sort of something hidden in each image. Can you talk about that series? So not far from Area 51, and in fact, right next to the place where they did all the atmospheric nuclear explosions in the, in the 60s, is an airbase called Preach Airbase. 
It just looks like a couple of trailers on the side of a highway out in the middle of nowhere. And when you drive out there, you look at the sky, it's wide open desert, and you look for a, kind of a second longer and, and you realize that it looks like little bugs are, are flying around in the sky. And then you look a second longer than that, you realize these are they're drones. Because what's going on at that airbase is that they're controlling all of the combat drones and surveillance drones around the world. They're all flown from guys in, in trailers at this airbase. So I just did a project where I started going out to this part of the desert with the 8 by 10 film camera, just opening the shutter, photographing the sky, and then you know, look at the negatives and you see these drones kind of appear almost as if they were little insects throughout the images. You know, it's funny when I was making the images, I would work with a printer and the printer would like just retouch them out. It was like, oh, I found a scratch. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, <laughs> that's like that's the point of the images. You know? <laughs> um, so it, I guess for me, it was just about that idea of taking familiar images or familiar landscapes and showing ways in which their meaning is being changed or, the, or their use is being changed. An image like the sky has been used throughout history to mean so many different things. You know, it can be, you know, something about something religious, about commandments coming down from the sky or you know, something about the end of the world or trying to divine futures from the sky. And so, you know, again, it's going back to this idea of trying to see what are the specificities of our moment in history. Yeah, there's something about your work that takes some of this stuff, like the internet, like the surveillance state, and just sort of gives it the surface area to be real and kind of understandable and practical. It is absolutely a core assumption of everything I do that the world is made out of stuff and that stuff is very inefficient, right? Mm. <laughs> and, um, and so you can use that philosophy to look at things like secret air bases, but more recently, I've been doing a lot of work with things like computer vision and artificial intelligence and yeah. looking at algorithmic systems. And you can approach them in the same kind of infrastructural way in terms of thinking like, well, what are the power consumptions to build an AI model? Or what are the mineral requirements to build you know, a bunch of capacitors or GPUs or what have you? But yeah. you can also look at other aspects of those infrastructures. And so th that's a little bit analogous for me to going and looking for the cables or looking for the, you know, infrastructures that support, um, you know, systems that are so structuring of our everyday lives. I want to sort of jump to this next piece, which is like a little bit more biographical. Um, sure, yeah. You moved around a lot. Uh, it sounds like as a kid, uh, your dad was uh, an Air Force physician. And then you kind of got attracted to this real punk scene, both in Germany and then mm -hmm. eventually in San Francisco. Do those kind of enter into your work? Do you see them as kind of inputs into the things you do? Massively. I mean, so I think when you grow up in the military, you have a very different conception of what the United States is than if you grow up in the United States itself, because you understand that the reach of the United States is global. You know, there's bases in Korea, Japan, you know, Europe, Middle East, and that is very much a part of your mental image of what the U.S. is. So then the punk rock piece was, you know, in part growing up in the military, kind of really hating that conformity that is so much a part of what it is and that, that really extreme forms of discipline. The version of punk rock that I was involved with was this very DIY kind of culture. It's like, let's 
create our own clubs, let's create our own bands, let's try to create our own world that doesn't have anything to do with the major labels and the corporations and that. And yeah. in some ways it was a naive, but it was still very powerful in terms of sculpting my sense of how one can be in the world on, on one hand. And then on the other hand, really this question about the politics of space yeah. and thinking about what kinds of political assumptions are built into a nightclub, <laughs> you know, and that, that seems like a preposterous question, but there's really, yeah. there's real stuff to excavate there. For example, like you can build a radical anarchist nightclub, or you can build a radical capitalist, you know, like future core nightclub. You yeah. really can. When you start un unpacking that, like it can be this very creative process of trying to imagine different worlds. Your work is both, it's so rigorous, it's exhaustive in its detail, the amount of effort that goes into researching and creating it, and you can speak in this kind of mannered language of kind of the fine art world, and yet it's also this huge middle finger to state secrecy, to enormous power structures. I mean, that ethos runs so clearly to me through all of your work. There is, like, at the root of it, like, a deep suspicion of power yeah. you know yeah. <laughs> and I, I think that's just in every project and whether that power is the state or whether it's the you know the tech industry or you know whether it is more abstract versions than that yeah <laughs> like this, whether, whether it's the environment itself yeah. <laughs> since you started all of this work the world has undergone these kind of seismic shifts in a few different ways. There is kind of this shift in access to information in one sense. There's this explosion in open source intelligence and this idea that people can kind of be sifting through all of this satellite data and social media and looking for bits of truth. In other ways, it feels like information flows have become even more impossible to track. And that's sort of how things are getting processed and, and the information landscape becomes almost more and more uh, obtuse and unseeable. Like, <laughs> I guess I guess I'm asking, like, how are you seeing the world? Are we getting closer to being able to find the truth, this army of OSINT uh, researchers, or are we ever losing a grasp on like what actually the terrain we're on even looks like? Are we sort of blind? Are we in a forest? I'm doing the new body of work that's coming out in the spring, and, and this question you're asking is right at the core of that. I th think that we are at a moment of extreme danger, you know, obviously, you know, with the climate crisis on one hand, and, and quite honestly, the political and cultural crisis that is the United States um, at this moment, and this crisis of a lack of even a shared worldview at this point, right? And that it really feels like that. I, I am finding it really, really crazy to think about the fact that when I look at you know, government committees and just the ordinary workings of the state, the only thing that I see working is the investigations into the UAPs and UFOs, right? These are perfectly reasonable bipartisan <laughs> investigations. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what the f***? We have to, like, literally look at something that's, like, from a different planet <laughs> or from, you know, like, the, in order to have some kind of reasonable <laughs> cooperation in the American government. <laughs> and so, like, uh, so that, to me, has been this, this, this little metaphor of, like, the, that I've been trying to think through in this expanded way, I guess. <laughs> Well, I look forward to the next work. Uh, everything you do, I feel like, gives me a little bit of a window, a little bit of a thread into understanding 
the strange geography of this kind of like multi-layered world that we live in. So I can't wait to see your next projects. It's been great talking to you, man. Thank you so much for having me on your on your program. It's been a fantastic discussion. I really appreciate it. That was Trevor Peglin joining us uh, from his studio in Berlin. If you want to find out more information about his incredible work, and you really should, he's just an absolutely amazing artist, go check out Peglin, P-A-G-L-E-N dot studio. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. This episode was produced by Amanda McGowan. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder Arnold, Sarah Wyman, Manolo Morales, Baudelaire Seuss, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. If you want to learn more, be sure to visit atlasobscura.com. There's a link in our episode description. And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time. Witness Docs from Stitcher. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure that you're always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.